Welcome to today's Church Central podcast. We're a family of churches across Birmingham. To find out more, head to churchcentral.org.uk. Well, a big thanks to Arlene for reading that psalm. We are going to be looking at Psalm 150 today as we think about and explore an ancient practice that has been central to the Christian church since it began 2000 years ago. We're looking at a way of abiding with Jesus or being with and remaining in relationship with Jesus that some of you love and some of you hate, but it is the central theme of Psalm 150. I want us to think about making music to God, about singing together to God, specifically about the the musical worship moments in our church gatherings. And I want to ask a very urgent and timely and pressing question. Does making music matter? Does making music matter? Now, that is obviously an urgent and pressing question for us right now, because let's be blunt and honest. For the last 18 months, that's been an area of church life that has been hard to do together. And though we love everything that our worship team have poured in to keep us singing in our own homes, it has been together and collectively something we've hardly been able to do at all. And yet, I would say that in many ways our community has survived, but even thrived in loving God and loving one another over the last 18 months. Whether it's the the urgency of the pandemic that has forced us into action, but I feel like we've been deliberate in how we've done community. And I feel like we've seen people come in and be drawn in and to see something of the hope that we carry. And people have become new disciples of Jesus. Some of you watching this are new disciples of Jesus. In a time when we've not been able to do any of that singing together stuff that we used to give so much time to on a Sunday morning. And so is it really that central to us as a church? Is it really that important? Is it really worth giving such a chunk of time to? Does it matter to us and to God that we make music? Now, whatever your instinctive, temperamental, knee-jerk reaction is to that, some of you miss it every day. And some of you are dreading being asked to stand up for song one on the 5th of September. And however you fit into that spectrum, Psalm 150's answer is a resounding yes. Music still matters to us and to God. And to help you see that and to get that into us afresh, what I want to do is look at eight. Yes, eight. So buckle in. I'll do my best to get us done by lunchtime. Eight reasons why music matters from Psalm 150 and and assorted other avenues into scripture as well. Here's the first reason. Musical worship matters because it's about God. This psalm is pretty much the most pro-music bit of the whole Bible. It is obsessed with music, this psalm. It is in itself a song that is about making music. Okay, And even though it has only six short sentences in it, it speaks of eight different musical instruments very passionately. But, you know, even in a song as obsessed with music as Song 150, music isn't the main thing in this song. God is the main thing. It starts with praise the Lord. 
It finishes with praise the Lord, praise the Lord. And in between, as it mentions all the different instruments, neither they nor the sound they make, nor the genre that they fit into, nor the preferences that we have, nor how many times the instruments are played to do the chorus again at the end, nor any of these things, none of them are ultimate. But instead, they are all enrolled in a higher calling, which is the praise and worship of God. And so it isn't uh, trumpets are great, aren't they? It's praise him with trumpet sound. It's not, oh, I love a good lute. It's praise him with lute and harp, etc., etc. It's all about bringing praise and worship and glory and honour to God. And so it is when we gather in the church. The focus of a time of musical worship isn't music. The focus of a time of musical worship is not even worship. The focus of a time of musical worship is God. And which just to ground this really early, to make it really practical, means your opinions, your very sacred opinions, and my very, very sacred opinions about music, or the song that we're singing, or, or what my favourite instrument is, or whether it's too loud today, are at best secondary to what is and always will be and always has been primary, which is God. Our insecurities about our voice, whether we like this song, our lack of interest in singing in the rest of our day-to-day -day lives, or our preferences about style are not ultimate. He is ultimate. So we don't join in with musical worship because we like musical worship. We don't join in with musical worship because we like music. We join in with musical worship wholeheartedly because we love God. Praise him with trumpet sound. Here's the second reason it matters. It matters because it's about obedience. In this psalm and countless times through the Old Testament and the New Testament, bringing worship to God with songs and music and musical instruments playing is commanded by Yahweh. It is not suggested, for he is not our suggester-in-chief. It is not advised, for he is not our advisor-in-chief. It is commanded because he is our commander-in-chief. And so that is more than enough for us. If there was no other spiritual, relational, psychological or physiological benefit to worshipping God with song, then just the fact that he said it, even if he only said it once, then it would be our greatest privilege to obey him. But as it is, because he's a rational and kind and good and loving God, there are a million other reasons as well. Number three, musical worship matters because it is about honour. Verse three says, praise the Lord with trumpet sound. Now, in Bible times, you might have noticed there's a lot of mentions of trumpets, okay? Uh, just take uh, 1 and 2 Kings, for example. There's so much reference to uh, a new king being crowned and the trumpets are blown. Or a king arrives in a town and the trumpets are blown. It's like what they're saying when they sound the trumpets is, listen up, pay attention, a person of honour is arriving and you need to stop what you're doing and realise that they are in town and they are worthy of your respect. And even in our irreverent culture, 
uh, today. We do this. Uh, the Queen arrives at a royal event. The trumpets are sounded, though they're not the ram's horns of uh, yesteryear, sadly. The president visits and the trumpets sound. And even when it isn't trumpets and we're roping in other types of music, very often when a person who is meant to be seen as a big deal arrives, music strikes up. So think of a boxer walking to the ring and they have their entrance music. Think of even a C-list celebrity coming onto the Graham Norton show uh, to promote their latest film. And the music strikes up. Now how much more then than a C-list celebrity or a boxer walking to the ring should King Jesus receive honour and music and praise when he arrives in the church of God? And he will on that ultimate day, in the future day when he comes to rescue and judge and then redeem all of creation. It says in the Bible that that will be met with trumpet sound. The trumpets will resound when he arrives because he is coming and he is worthy of respect and honour and attention. But here's the thing. As the church of Jesus, we don't have to wait to that day. We don't have to wait till then to welcome him and to announce his presence because he dwells by the Holy Spirit in his church. And when we gather, he comes to walk among us. And so we let the music strike up, whether it's a trumpet, a ram's horn, Johnny Lee's acoustic guitar or whatever else we can get our hands on. We make music to him. We welcome him with praise because it's about honour. Reason number four, making music matters because it's about celebration. Verse four says this very strange thing, which we'll come back to, but you'll see why it's so relevant to us. It says, praise him with tambourine and dancing. Now, let's back up a bit. Go anywhere in the world where an incredible victory has happened and you will find that a celebration always instinctively follows, full of music and dancing. So if a revolution has happened, then the streets are filled with music and dancing. If your candidate has won the presidency, there's music and dancing. If your team has won the final, oh, it's a little bit raw still, isn't it? There's music and dancing. And this instinct to strike up a celebration song is right there through the Bible as well. Think about when God's people come through the Red Sea, God has defeated their enemy and uh, they've come through and they're safe and victorious and their hearts are still beating and they're still breathless from the journey and the sea is still just settling down. But their immediate instinct is to sing. It says, I will sing, this is Moses, I will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. And fascinatingly, when you think about our little Christian verse about tambourines and dancing, when that song is sung, Miriam is nearby. And look what it says of her. She took a tambourine and led all the women as they played their tambourines and danced, just like in our psalm, tambourines and dancing. And this phrase comes up again uh, through the Old Testament, uh, particularly at moments when a battle has been won. It happens to David and his uh, band of friends when they win a battle or come through danger unscathed. They get out the tambourines and they dance. Now, that's why I don't think that our obedient application of this verse of the Bible has to be that we all get our own little tambourine to bring to King Edwards in September. Though if you want to, you are... Oh, just about free to do that, but it's close. I think we can just about cope if you do that. But rather, tambourine and dance is Bible shorthand for praise God 
for he is victorious and he has won and we are now living in the good of his great victory. That's what tambourine and dance seems to mean. And we now think of King Jesus beating our twin enemies of sin and death when he died on the cross and rose again on Easter Sunday and that he has now given us the victory, the New Testament says, over those enemies so that sin no longer triumphs over us and death will no longer triumph over us. And so he's victorious and he shared his victory and so we instinctively celebrate. This is not any community. This is not a friendship group in a corner. We are the victorious church of the victorious Jesus Christ. And so we make music together. We celebrate because it's about celebration. Is the fifth reason. Music matters because it's about unity. Now, tragically and ironically and disgustingly, sung worship causes a great many arguments in churches and uh, if not arguments, then at least silent judgmental attitudes uh, or little snidey conversations on the way home if the songs weren't the ones that we like, which is a real shame because wholehearted participation in musical worship alongside our brothers and sisters in God is a gift of our father to unite his church. Now, how does it unite us? Well, we all sing one song together, don't we? We've had all different weeks, all different experiences, all different backgrounds, and yet we come together and we join in one song together with a unified voice to him. It's not uniform, you see in this psalm all the beautiful variety of noise that God welcomes in pleasing worship to him. It's not uniform, but it is unified. And as we sing out one song, rather than you sing, we'll raise a hallelujah, whilst the worship leader's trying to do strength will rise, whilst the PA guy's sticking the words up for uh, come let us adore him or whatever it might be, we sing out one song together. And it brings us together to the God who brings us together. And so this is really practical. If you have ever feel distant from others in the church or perhaps more seriously, if you've ever had beef with someone in the church community, can I say there is peacemaking power in praise, in praising him together? Because frankly, it's very hard to hate someone when you worship the beautiful Jesus together. It's very hard to carelessly gossip about someone repeatedly when you have come to the foot of the cross and praised him for his sacrificial grace to us alongside one another. So especially after the last 18 months when we've been apart and we've only really spoken to the people in our community group, really, and we're all a little bit nervous about seeing everyone else, let us sing one song together. God will bring us together. He will unite us. Reason number six, making music matters because it engages our bodies. Although we in the Western church like to rope off our faith into the realm of ideas and beliefs, the Bible has a much more radical, much more healthy, much more holistic goal for our worship lives. Romans 12 says that we're to offer our bodies as a sacrifice to God and that this is our true and spiritual worship. It doesn't say that we're to offer our beliefs to God merely, but that we're to offer our bodies to him. Just look at how involved our bodies are in the praise of God in Psalm 150. It says everything that has breath, praise the Lord. 
It is a picture of lungs inhaling and exhaling and pouring out that verbal praise through our vocal cords to God as we sing. And then really obviously, but all of the instruments, this is a profound point, isn't it? Uh, listed in this psalm, use our physical bodies. So trumpets and pipes use our mouths and fingers and lungs. Uh, lutes and harps and strings use our fingers and arms. Tambourines uh, use our arms and our palms and our cringing muscles. Uh, dancing uses our feet, the occasional arm, a hip or two maybe. Other Bible passages speak of raising hands, clapping, stamping our feet, kneeling, even laying down before God in worship. A musical worship is a door to all of that embodied belief. It's a gift from God to help us move from this Western, we just think about stuff, to being Christians who embody what we believe. Number seven, making music matters because it engages our memory. Now, everybody knows from the earliest child to the oldest person that singing stuff helps you remember it. It's why my grandma, uh, when she uh, was uh, riddled with Alzheimer's, taking so much of her from herself and from us, uh, yet whenever I drove her home to the care home, I would sing to her and she would come back. And it was always this standing joke that if we, we played music and certain songs and we got her singing, it was like it came back on and she was there with us again. She would remember because music engages your memory. It's why my uh, little two-year-old Rosie, who is not a deep biblical scholar, yet she is committed perfectly to memory, the book of Numbers, chapter 6, verses 24 to 26. Because though she can't understand a word of it, we have plonked that kid in front of YouTube enough times playing the blessing, that song that sings the Lord bless you and keep you. Or as Rosie will sing to her little Peppa Pig toys, the Lord bless you and keep you and keep you. And she can't even say it properly, but she's learned scripture because it came to her in the form of a song. And that's, again, not a credit to us. That's a credit to uh, YouTube <laughs> and that song. What a discipleship tool we miss out on if we mumble or switch off when the songs bit is happening in church. I want to encourage you to invest in your future by singing God's truth into your memory. Number eight, making music matters because it engages our feelings. Now, some of you are nervous at the mention of feelings or emotions and we don't want to be manipulative. And I know. But we all know that music engages a deeper part of us than just saying stuff does, right? It's why filmmakers, uh, even when it's very obvious that there's a horror scene in the film, they play horror music to help your emotions catch up and to help you experience in a deeper way what it is that's in front of your eyes. And if there's a, a, a sad scene, there's a different type of music to give you a, that right emotional response to what you're looking at. And of course, I'm not saying that a music on its own should be used to manipulate our emotions in a church service or to shortcut what God's doing by whacking a bit of cello in or something. But emotive music in the Bible is not a threat or a danger. It is a gift from God to us to help our hearts catch up and feel appropriately to what's in front of us, to him and his goodness and his grace and his glory and his holiness. Music helps our feelings catch up with that. I'm going to give the final word on this 
to Yip Harburg, who has, other than the Lord Jesus, who's the name above every name, uh, the best name ever. And he wrote the music to the Wizard of Oz and he summarized the power of music like this. He said, words make you think thoughts. Music makes you feel a feeling, but a song makes you feel a thought. See what he's saying? Words, lyrics, they make you think thoughts and that's good. And music in and of itself makes you feel feelings and that's good. But the combination when you add lyrics and truth to music, that makes you feel your thoughts. Beautiful idea, beautiful truth to experience. And if your love, your feelings, your, your emotions towards God have gone cold or dead or flat, can I encourage you, sing a song to him. Make music to him. Put truth and music together and watch your feelings begin to come alive again. So there it is, eight reasons why music really matters to us and to God.